The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WNKB, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WNKB. And now your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week, as every week, we're putting folks just like you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. And our topic today is a listener request from our fan site at realliferealestateradio.com. If you go there and become a fan, not only can you tell us what your favorite show topic would be, but you can also download more than 100 Real Life Real Estate programs, all public radio, no pitching, all information. That's realliferealestateradio.com and become a fan. The Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati meets tomorrow evening. The early meeting for beginners at 6 o'clock is all about how to figure out the values of properties in this funny, funny market where many of your comparable properties are going to be bank-owned, which theoretically means you shouldn't use them as comps. So what do you do? How do you find the fair market value when the comps are all over the place? I, Vina Jones-Cox, will be hosting that class at 6 o'clock. At 7.30, we have last week's guest, Peter Conti, who's going to talk about how to buy your first apartment building and get started in commercial real estate. Ladies and gentlemen, Ria has been running ads all over the place for this meeting, so I would suggest that if you're going to come, try and get there by 07715, lest you have to stand. It's going to be a big crowded meeting. Peter is going to talk about step-by-step exactly what you need to do to find, purchase, and enjoy income-producing properties. That's tomorrow night at the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati at the Community Action Agency building behind Swift and Commons at the corner of Reading and Seymour Avenue. It is guest night. All are welcome to attend. My guest this evening on Real Life Real Estate Investing is Greg Boots, who is a licensed attorney and nationally recognized public speaker on the topic of business formation, estate planning, and retirement planning strategies. He graduated cum laude from Seattle University Law School in 1997 and is best known for his ability to take complex legal and tax strategies and teach them in a straightforward and interesting manner Easily understood by all of our listeners. Right, Greg? That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, you said a mouthful there. Well, but thank you for having me on the show. Uh, and I and I appreciate you agreeing to be here. Somebody with you know sort of your area of both expertise and specialization uh, is someone that I know listeners are going to want to talk to by calling us at seven seven two nine six five eight or outside the Greater Cincinnati area at eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. Or they can also contact us by going to askvina.com, filling in the response form there and hitting the send button and we will get it here in the studio via email. Um, now, Greg, uh, asset protection is one of those funny things that every real estate investor who's had any level of training knows they are supposed to be doing, and yet most people put it off until the day they get the notice that someone sued them. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. It's kind of like putting off going to the dentist. And the whole thing is, is with asset protection... 
more so than any other area in the law, you have to be proactive. Whatever tools you're going to use to uh, to protect your investments, whether you're looking at corporations or partnerships or LLCs or, or, or even combinations of trusts, those plans have to be implemented. The, uh, the real estate has to be transferred in prior to any harm arising. I've had calls from in the past from people that have seen me speak and they told me, hey, I just got served with a notice. I have to appear in court. One of my tenants was injured. I need to set up my LLCs at this point in time. And unfortunately, it's too late. Once you're on notice that you are in the midst of a lawsuit or you're more likely than not to be sued, it's too late to put up your plan. Mm-hmm. And you just have to ride that suit out. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think part of the reason that uh, investors put off and put off and put off even looking at what they should be doing in terms of asset protection is that it 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 is kind of an alphabet soup of you know llc lpc corp s corp what what what, what is it that i'm supposed to do how does how does one even sit down and decide what entity is is an appropriate one that's a great question not all entities are created equal in that. Some provide good asset protection, others provide uh, great tax reduction, but no asset protection. And so what an investor needs to do just at the initial stage is take a look at, at how they're anticipating to invest. Are they going to be somebody that's just out there wholesaling properties? Are they looking to have some long-term hold positions, doing lease options? Those types of strategies require different types of business entities. Uh, and just in a nutshell, for any time that we're dealing with long-term hold positions, we want to look at the entities that provide us asset protection. And those are primarily limited liability companies and limited partnerships. If we're looking for tax savings and avoiding being potentially classified as a dealer in real estate, we want to structure our wholesale transactions through a corporation, or pardon me, through an entity like a corporation. Asset protection, it's not a a cookie-cutter approach, or at least it shouldn't be treated as a cookie-cutter approach. Uh, It's not a one-size-fits-all. Different businesses are going to achieve different results, not only from a protection standpoint, but also from a tax standpoint as well. So I shouldn't go online and buy one of these $100 LLC forms that I can easily get that way? Well, I kind of view it as um, going to your family doctor to have heart surgery. Uh, You want to make sure that you're working with somebody, ultimately, that understands not only the investor mindset, but invest as well. Because if you go to a a local attorney or you pop online and and you go to a do-it-yourself format, there are things you're not going to know because that's not your job. Your job is to go out there and and enter into transactions and, and run your investments. And a lot of people get in the position that they'll go online and they'll just file their LLC with the Secretary of State and they think that they have protection. But in reality, they don't have any protection at that point in time. Because what's going to save people time and time again when we're looking at lawsuit scenarios is the documentation that actually supports uh, the entity. So if you have an LLC, you better make sure that you have an operating agreement. If you have a corporation, you absolutely have to have your bylaws and have your resolutions and your annual minutes. So there's much more involved than just hopping online uh, and filing that business or going to a do-it-yourself format. 
most people don't ever discover anything's wrong until it's too late, until that lawsuit's filed. And we can't go back and, and rework the documents or undo the transaction. You're just stuck in that scenario and keep your fingers crossed that uh, uh, the court will respect the entity if, if you don't have the documentation there to support it. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jodes-Cox. My guest today, Greg Boots, attorney at law. We're talking asset protection. And I know you have asset protection questions because you always ask them to me when I don't have an expert attorney on the line. So give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-729-658 or send us an email via askvina.com. Hey, kids. Have you checked out Vina's website yet at realliferealestate.com? I don't care that you're driving. Learn to multitask. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Greg Boots, a, an attorney from the Seattle area for all of our core listenership out there in Seattle. He's in your backyard, and we're talking today about asset protection issues for the real estate entrepreneur. What we've learned so far is if you're going to hold, you want to do, you want to probably have an LLC or a limited partnership. If you're going to flip, you're probably looking at a corporation, the difference being uh, primarily tax reasons, I understand. Um, we're taking your calls at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Or you can send us an email by going to askvina.com and filling out the response form there. Now, Greg, um, trying to trying to untangle this whole asset protection thing in in fifty eight minutes is sure. <laughs> you know I know I know you it's teach whole, like two day classes on exactly. on on these topics and what we're what we're trying to do is get listeners sort of um, in the mindset that they need to do something about this now you know it's like like putting off writing your will until you're dead right uh, and the other thing is to answer any specific questions that they might have but. In terms of, of asset protection as a general thing, many people have objections to the idea of setting up an LLC or corporation that go along the lines of, but I already have insurance. Why right. do I need to do what big major corporations do and spend all this money setting up an entity for myself? Sure. I, I encounter that uh, question or potential objection a lot across the country. They'll, they'll be told by their local financial professional, all you need to do is have a general liability policy and you're covered. The problem with that is uh, what most people overlook, and that's just in regard to the exclusions on the policy. What happened at the end of the, the 90s is that, for the most part, at that point in time, a lot of the asbestos cases were finally settling down, and um, there really was a need in regards to the, the legal community to have a, a, a new cash cow, so to speak, and up, lo and behold, pops toxic black mold, and in the year 2001 and 2002, uh, that's when toxic black mold really took off, and the insurance companies were just absolutely inundated with tens of thousands of claims in regards to toxic black mold exposure. And so now you'll find in your policies under uh, environmental exclusions, specific exclusions in regards to toxic black mold. So you could have the best general liability policy in the world, but if somebody claims potential negligence on your part or an intentional act or even something as 
unharmful, at least in, in your part, uh, as toxic black mold. Don't get me wrong, it can be harmful, but it's something that can occur through no negligence of your own, and you get sued, your insurance policy isn't going to cover you. And so then that means you're on your own now to go out and hire an attorney and to defend yourself. And the way that our legal system has become in this country, unfortunately, is people view it with a lottery mentality. And so they'll go out, they'll hire an attorney, they're very easy to find, and They'll, they'll file a claim on, on toxic black mold. The thing is, is that there's a lawsuit filed in this country every 1.5 seconds, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And so the courts are extremely backlogged. We generally don't get into trial for about a two-year period. And if you're the person that's getting sued and you're having to defend yourself, you're out of pocket to pay that attorney the entire time, $300, $400 an hour. And what ends up happening in about 98% of the cases, people do a cost-benefit analysis. Uh, it's going to cost them so many tens of thousands of dollars to defend. Best-case scenario, they, they're not fi- found additionally liable, or they pay the tens of thousands of dollars to defend, and then the jury awards a several-million-dollar verdict against them. And since they own that investment property in their own name, it's just not the investment property at risk. It's everything else that investor holds in his or her name. So it can completely wipe somebody out. And so insurance is great. Uh, limited liability companies, corporations, partnerships, they're not a substitute for insurance. But insurance isn't a substitute for proper planning using uh LLCs and corporations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's not a one or the other type of thing. It's it's both. We don't get an LLC and then drop our insurance because we say, oh, I'm protected. Because that's that's exactly right. But what people have done in the past is they've been drugging the court. Somebody's injured on their property, and the the court wants to make sure that this is a viable business, and every reasonable, prudent business has some type of liability coverage. And if that business doesn't have the coverage. There have been cases where the courts have pierced right through the entity and attached the owners personally liable. So they they work really hand-in-hand with with each other. Now, we should also say that despite what what, uh, folks might have heard from people speaking on stage trying to sell them $5,000 packages of (laughs) of asset protection stuff, that the the fact that you have an LLC or a corporation or a trust or anything else is, is A, not going to keep you from getting sued, and B, it's not going to keep you from losing the suit. That's not the point. That's correct. Um, if We can never protect the property from itself. So if there's an injury on the property, and just based upon the way that the legal system is, there's more likely not going to be a suit. What the LLC or partnership does in, in terms of how asset protection really works is it contains your exposure inside of the business. So... Yes, the property is always potentially at risk, and if you have other properties in there, they may be at risk as well. What we're doing is we're making it as difficult as possible so you're not personally attached in the lawsuit and have all of your personal possessions completely wiped out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's more to protect you from the property. <laughs> than it is. That's right. 
That, that, that's exactly right. And in certain states, uh, we can also protect the property from you. We have what is known as a charging order in a lot of states. And what that means is that if you get sued on a personal level, and if a charging order is the only remedy, the court won't allow the, the judgment creditor, the, the plaintiff that's suing you, they won't have the ability to reach in and take out your investment assets to satisfy a personal judgment. So in a lot of respects, we can protect you from the property, and in a lot of states, we can protect the property or the, the property from you. Mm-hmm. So, so double edge. So we're sort of we're sort of protecting ourselves against um, the lightning strike, against the the uninsurable tort, the the uh, injury or accident that exceeds the limits of our insurance, that sort of thing. And it, it's really not that expensive to set up one of these entities. I know costs range all over the place, but approximately what are you seeing out there for for a setup of a, a simple one or two member LLC? If for the average price range is for a, a pretty simple LLC. Uh, if you're having a professional do it, you're looking at anywhere between $1,500 and $3,000. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, it's money well spent because what you're doing is... It, Think of it as another insurance policy where we're ensuring now that this is set up properly and that it's going to be the protections um, that were told to us. And that's the kind of a problem that I have with people just hopping online or, or being pitched a product from somebody who's not an attorney. Um, this is even though some states don't recognize it. It truly is the practice of law, and what you're, what you're doing is you're really relying on the person that, that has that professional degree um, to structure the planning right. And most attorneys that I know aren't going to risk their law license to do, sell somebody a $2,000 LLC if they don't need an LLC. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the way that this works, uh, you know, for those folks out there who've, who've never set one up, is you set up your LLC and then you can put multiple properties in it. It doesn't, it, I mean, you don't, you don't want to like put a thousand properties in it, but you know, two, three, four properties. You don't have to do this again every time you're going to buy another house. That's, that's absolutely right. Everybody has their own risk tolerance level. And so for me, what I'll generally do is I'll have an LLC that has residential property in it, no more than three or four properties. Generally, for my personal risk tolerance, no more than two, 250000 in equity, but the majority of my clients, they'll never have more than $100,000 in equity. And so what we want to do is we want to keep similar properties together. So residential properties go in one LLC. If we're dealing for higher risk type of properties like commercial, well, with commercial properties, it does make sense just based upon their value to separate those out into their own LLCs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's whatever your risk tolerance is. There's nothing inherently wrong putting 15 properties in an LLC, provided that you could sleep at night knowing that if somebody got hurt on property one, the other 14 are at risk. We just got an email from Dorn in Fishers, Indiana, saying, do you think there is any advantage to a multi-member LLC versus a single-member LLC? 
Good question, and, and Dorn, that really is going to depend upon your individual situation. Multi-member LLCs, by default, have to be at least taxed as a partnership. Uh, they, depending upon the type of business they do, they could also be taxed as an S or a C corporation. The thing that's nice in regard to single-member LLCs is that they can be disregarded for tax purposes. And so, really, their only function is uh, to provide that asset protection shield capturing your depreciation on your properties, the expenses, the profits, those go on your 1040 return just as if the LLC doesn't exist. Now, I guarantee that there's listeners out there saying, well, no, single-member LLCs, they get pierced through all the time. That's not actually correct. There is uh, one case out of uh, Colorado that occurred several years ago uh, known as Inri Albright. And in the Albright case, there was a single-member LLC, and that member, the owner, declared personal bankruptcy. And since he declared personal bankruptcy, the federal bankruptcy court reached in and attached those assets. It, it, wasn't ha- it didn't have anything to do with the state statutes. You're, you're so telling me I, that all of this brouhaha about how we can no longer have single-member LLCs is based on that one case? It's uh, one case, and there's a couple other cases right now that are in front of uh, uh, courts, and we're waiting to see what happens. But, what it, but they're all revolving around bankruptcy issue. If a state, for example, a state like Nevada, where we have a charging order as the sole remedy, if... If you're sued in Nevada and the state statute says that this is the exclusive remedy, the state court isn't allowed to pierce in and take those assets out. So it really becomes a case, a determination, case by case, on where you're doing your business, where your properties are located, on whether or not it's more advantageous for you to have it as a single member or to add another member on there and have some added protection. But with that added protection, there's the downside of having to at least file a partnership tax return each year. Excellent. We need to take a quick break. I want to open up the floor to other listeners who have questions at 513-772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or via askvina.com. It is Real Life Real Estate Investing, and I have a poll for the listening audience. When the engineer is holding his headphones together with tape, does that make him some kind of special geek? Those are your favorite headphones, and they're being held together with tape. And it's it's not even like electrical tape. It's like scotch tape. <laughs> nice. So everybody pledged during Fun Drive, right? So we can get Mike a pair of microphones or headphones that he doesn't have to hold together with tape. <laughs> Ah, real life real estate investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones Cox. He's a strapping young man. Oh. See, this doesn't happen in commercial radio. People don't just like pop their heads in and make bad puns. Ah, real life real estate investing. 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 are the numbers to call, either with your opinions of George's bad puns and Mike's cobbled together headphones or with your asset protection questions, which would be even better since I have an asset protection expert, Greg Boots, from the Seattle area, who is uh, talking to us about LLCs, limited partnerships, uh, answering your questions, etc., um, another question from a listener via email. Can Greg outline some of the main points that should be included in an LLC operating agreement? Good question. Um, you bet. 
see, LLCs on the face of them seem very straightforward. Generally, we have a member, and that member is going to, or a couple of members, and now those people are going to run the company. So on the face of LLCs, they seem straightforward, but actually they're the most complicated business entity there is because we can have single member member managed, multi-member member managed, single member manager managed, and multi-member manager managed. So the very first thing that you should have is that if an attorney or, or you're doing it yourself or somebody else is setting up an LLC for you and you elect a specific classification in terms of how the business is to be run, you absolutely want to make sure that that operating agreement conforms with that. So if we're setting up a multi-member, member-managed LLC, it has to state that within the agreement itself. Also, since LLCs can be taxed as anything that you desire, if you elect for it to be taxed as anything other than default partnership, if there's two, two or more people, or the default uh, disregarded, if there's just one person, you need to make sure that you have those tax provisions in there if you elect a corpor- an S-corp or a C-corp. So those are the two main items. You also want to make sure, just from an asset protection standpoint, that you have some restrictions on the transferability, the, the, the transfer of the ownership of the LLC interests, because those type of provisions are really going to serve to protect you in a, a lawsuit scenario. If you indicate within that operating agreement that you can transfer ownership at will, well, now you're in a real bad position in a law. If you get sued personally, somebody could theoretically take owner over your ownership and be able to run that company. The, the way that the LLC statutes are, are governed is they lay out a, a, a list of rules in each state, but each state always have a, has a little caveat in there that unless the operating agreement says otherwise. So that operating agreement really controls how the business is to be run, and you want to make it conform to however it is that you're structuring that business. Mm-hmm. Okay. The operating agreement's key, and it always comes down to the documentation when we're looking at lawsuits. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> may I recommend um, for, for folks who are getting into business, particularly with um, people that are unrelated, I mean, many LLCs are set up between like husbands and wives and things like that. Right. But we find a lot of folks who like they go into the real estate business with their high school buddy because he's a contractor and they just took some real estate classes and, 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 and they think it's a great idea up front. And they really need to be thinking in terms of worst case scenario right from the beginning. When they're setting right. when they're setting up the LLC and have things in the LLC like a buy sell agreement that says if we become unhappy with each other, here's how we're going to decide to uh, split up the assets or have someone buy someone out or something. You you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, we don't like to think of the business potentially dying out or, or people going their separate ways when, when we're creating the business, when, when it's our own investment. But we have to plan for those contingencies. Uh, I, and within my partnership or within my firm, we're an LLC, we've had a couple of instances over the, over the last 10 years where we've removed a couple of partners. And litigation would ensue because we're all attorneys, and it was the operating agreement that came back and, and provided for uh, you know, the buy-sell and potentially having key 
multi-person insurance. It can be much worse, at least this is what I've been told, than going through a divorce or just like going through a divorce. And you want to make sure that you're covering yourself from the outset in regards to the potential uh, splitting of the ways of the, the members in that company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and ask me how I know that. <laughs> the, <laughs> the numbers to call are 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like the power cord on my computer is like not functioning. It's like not putting power to the computer and my battery's about to die. So if you can get in an email in the next couple of minutes via askvina.com, Com. Uh, we can certainly answer that, but we are going to have to switch over the phones here momentarily because uh, we're just we're just not going to not going to last it out here on the computer. Uh, Robert in Hudson, Ohio, wants to know this, and hopefully, Greg, you'll you'll understand this better than I do. He says, if I include the statement, "quote each member can incur unreimbursed expenses," end quote, in the operating agreement of my LLC, am I exposing my personal assets to too much risk? If I'm understanding the question correctly, is that can the business reimburse the owners, the members, for out-of-pocket expenses associated with the business? Actually, I think it's the other way around. The statement he's asking about is each member can incur unreimbursed expenses. Robert, you, um, you might have to clarify this. Where, where did you hear this and what is it that you think that it's supposed to do? Because generally, when we have provisions within our LLC, we're not going to have them drafted in a manner that could put potential liability exposure on us individually for obligations that are incurred through the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, a little clarification on that one yeah, would be that, good. That would be helpful. Uh, Ken says, since this is such a confusing topic for most of us, do you recommend trying to buy some guru's course and then trying to set up their LLC or simply hire a well-qualified attorney like yourself and let them do everything from A to Z, i.e. leave it to the professionals so we can focus on making offers? You know, I think it's important that uh, investing in real estate is... It's something that has a learning curve, just like any type of investing does. And I like to see investors be able to focus on learning a new, uh, this new trade or this new, this new tool um, and not getting bogged down in the minutia of knowing how to run a business on a, uh, from all of the ins and outs in regards to the provisions and resolutions. The problem that I have with most kits that I've seen that people have purchased is that they don't ever implement them. And so they end up spending $2,000, $5,000 for some really nice fancy binders that just sit on their shelves. That being said, when you choose your local professional to work with, if you go that route, make sure it's somebody that understands real estate or understands business law or business planning. You don't generally want to go to a um, just a, a, a general practitioner because when it's the old saying, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. There's, it's, the law is too complex to be able to know everything very well. And so my, my take, whether you're dealing with an, an attorney or even an accountant, 
pick somebody that invests like you do because what happens is is that person goes out and they learn the tricks of the trades for themselves and what's going to give them the best protection, what's going to give them the best tax reduction on their investments, and then they transfer that over to their clients. I've seen so many people be put in situations where they've gone just to a general practitioner and all they did was file the articles of incorporation and that was it. There was no follow-up nothing else was done and you want to make sure that whomever you work with whether it's a local professional or a national professional make sure that you're working with somebody that invests in a similar manner and then also looks at the law from a a double-sided approach and and what i mean by that is when we're focusing on asset protection or business planning in general Far too often, the attorneys are, are very narrowly focused and only looking at the legal aspects of it. And I understand that that's their profession, but we're missing out on a lot of tax benefits as well. Before, when I said that you can use an LLC or a limited partnership to protect your property, that's absolutely correct. But the, the flip side of that is that if you're going to put your rental properties in a limited partnership, which I see a lot of attorneys do, you've just lost out on the biggest or one of the best benefits of investing in long-term holds, and that's in terms of being able to capture your depreciation on an annual basis. If it's in a limited partnership and you're the limited partner, you can't capture the depreciation. Yes, it's got great asset protection, but we just lost out on a, a great tax benefit. So we want to kind of look at it from from a, a legal standpoint and a tax standpoint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that actually leads us into another listener question that just came in. We've got some very sophisticated questions here right. today. Uh, uh, let's see, where'd it go? Um, if you form a limited partnership, is there any specific advantage to having the general partner be a C-Corp, an S-Corp, or an LLC, and having the limited partners being CS or LLCs? Okay, let's focus on the limited partner aspect first. When you're a limited partner in a limited partnership, what that means is that if... If something goes wrong on an investment, the, your only risk exposure is your capital contribution into the my, my. Am I still on the air? <laughs> You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Uh, we'll get this worked out. Don't worry. I'm your host, Fina Jones-Cox. We'll be taking your calls after the break for Greg Boots at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this. We're back on Real Life Real Estate Investing. Ah, oh boy. I'm your host, Fina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Greg Boots from Anderson Business Advisors in Kent, Washington, who has very generously offered to uh, share his vast knowledge of asset protection for real estate investors. He is, I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the show, a real estate investor himself. Uh, are we able to take calls? Or was that what, what's what's we're we, we've okay? So, <laughs> so we're we're having some technical problems here in the studio regarding the the phone lines. We hear it ringing and it can't get transferred back here. But give us a call at seven seven two nine six five eight or eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. Or if you really move fast, you might be able to get me an email at uh, the askvina dot com website. Or I believe our other email address is askvina at gmail.com. And uh, take advantage of the uh, vast knowledge that you have here on the phone with Greg Boots because uh, we don't get 
attorneys on here too, too often. And I know what's going to happen is that next week during question answer week, you're going to ask me a million questions about LLCs and limited partnerships. And I'm going to say, uh, I should ask Greg. Okay. So Greg, before all the phone lines dropped out, <laughs> you were, you were talking about uh, the, the question regarding limited partnerships. You had said that the disadvantage of, of holding properties in a limited partnership to begin with is that the limited partners lose the depreciation. But uh, Dorn's question about whether a whether the limited partner can or should be another entity or the general partner can or should be another entity was what was on the table. Sure. And uh, I'm not sure when I dropped off. It's a hazard of being an attorney. I love the sound of my own voice. And I kept talking until the phone rang. Um, <laughs> There's no inherent benefit of having generally having another entity uh, own your interest in the limited partnership because you already have a built-in asset protection there. Uh, you can only lose your investment within the partnership. But we have to have a general partner, somebody to run the business. And if you individually are the general partner, a general partner has unlimited liability exposure. So if something goes wrong in the business, not only are on that investment property, not only does the general partner lose his or her contribution into that partnership, they get sued personally as well. So they put all of their personal assets at risk. So in order to cap off this exposure, we want to use a different entity, whether it be a uh, a C-Corp or an S-Corp or, or even an LLC. What we're trying to do and what, what we're accomplishing with this strategy is that if there's a slip and fall on that property and somebody claims negligence on behalf of the manager, well, the manager's your general partner, and that's a different business entity. Even though you run the business, that business is not you. And so it, it helps to keep you from being sued on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So having another another business as the general partner, that's absolutely the way to go. Mm-hmm. Now, Greg, one thing that we haven't we haven't talked about that that sort of is it's it's actually kind of controversial in the whole real estate business is the issue of trusts, and particularly of land trusts. There's a there's a side that says always use a land trust in combination with some other entity to sort of add another layer of sort of hiding the ownership and there's another group that says absolutely not it's ridiculous it provides you with nothing you should just forget about the whole thing which side do you fall on if either one I fall right in the middle, um, and the reason why I take such a, a neutral approach is that I realize that some people like the the concept of having anonymity. A land trust is just a grantor trust, like a living trust. In and of itself, it provides absolutely no asset protection whatsoever. But what we're able to do is we're able to have a, a third-party trustee where when that deed is filed into that land trust, that third party goes down on title as the trustee of the trust. Now, if somebody really wants to sue you or really wants to find out what assets you own, they're going to go down to the county recorder and flip one deed back, and there your name is. And so, yes, you have cursory anonymity, um, but it's it's not guaranteed. And so, yes, you have to go through a bit more hassle. If you're going to use a land trust, you have to use it in conjunction with an entity like an LLC. And the reason why is that 
you take that interest, that beneficial interest, your right to enjoy and, and use the property, and you assign it over to your LLC. When you do that, not only does the, the, the use and benefit transfer over to the LLC, but the potential liability exposure transfers to the LLC as well. And so if there is a slip and fall or a black mold case, it's the LLC that's getting sued, not you personally. I have clients use land trust, but I have a lot of clients that don't. The reason why some people don't go or do go the land trust route as well is just in terms of concern that the lender might accelerate the, the mortgage, trigger the due on sale clause. But the fact of the matter is is that lenders aren't out there at this point in time actively looking to foreclose on properties that are, are, are paid in full or are occurring on their payments. And so I have clients that will take their property, even though there's a mortgage on it, deed it over into the LLC. They know their lenders aren't looking for the transfers, and the lenders are just happy to be getting paid on, on the mortgages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if anonymity is important to you, yeah, you can use one, but you just need to know um, that it's not guaranteed anonymity and that without the land trust in and of itself, uh, it doesn't really provide you any asset protection. Okay. Okay, what about, um, oh, wait, 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 we actually got a phone call through to the studio, and it's Robert from Hudson, Ohio, who had that question earlier that we didn't quite understand. Robert, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Yeah, hi, Vina. How hey, you doing? Good, how are you? Good, good. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry you didn't understand my question there. That's uh, That was something my accountant told me to do, and the reason he told me to do it was so that I could, uh, myself, me personally, and my wife, uh, pay for expenses of the business without actually running it through the business, but then be reimbursed for it later on. After we oh, get the okay, money. sure. Uh, great question. I understand. So you should have in any type of business is that if you go out of pocket on any expenses, your business can reimburse you for the expenses associated with the business. Now, ideally, you're not running all of your business expenses at a personal level, because if there's a lawsuit, the court will or the plaintiff will claim that it's just really your alter ego, and you should be lumped in with the business. But you want to have those types of provisions, especially when the business is starting up. A lot of people incur expenses prior to even starting up their business, um, or with the anticipation of creating it. And we want to have those provisions in that business that allows for the reimbursement of the out-of-pocket expenses you incurred. Okay, so, so I'm not uh, making it easier to, to, to pierce the corporate veil if I do that? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, you know, it's much better for you to pay expenses personally and seek reimbursement from your corporation or, or LLC than it is to use that business account to buy personal assets. Where people get in trouble is they use that business account and they'll go buy groceries with it. And no, no, I don't do that. No. And I've seen a lot of cases in that regard, and the business entities just disregard it. And so if you're unsure or if you're in a position where you don't have the, the corporate card or the LLC card, pay for it personally, just like people do with their employer, and you just submit a receipt and a request a reimbursement. Okay, so I should have like a, uh, uh, an expense form? You could have a my account is saying I shouldn't do that. Or I, I don't, just I don't have, have a receipt. If, if I put that statement in there, he's saying I, sh- I, I don't have to have an expense uh, form to recover that cost. 
your accountant's correct. You technically don't have to have an expense form. But if there's ever an audit on the business just in regards to uh, reimbursable expenses so they, they still remain classified as a legitimate business deduction, it's yes. nice to have those receipts to show, yes, we went out to dinner, we discussed business, we're seeking reimbursement for 50% of this meal or this travel was related to the business. Yes, I do keep the receipts, yes. Okay. But the issue was about the form and, and, you know, if I could even do that and, and the concern about increasing my exposure to uh, liability. Yeah, there's no, there's no increased liability exposure, and you don't have to have a form unless your document says you have to have a form. Okay. Okay, well, good. All right, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, you bet. Thanks for calling. Uh, thank Bye. you for your call, Robert. Uh, 877-772-9658, or in the greater Cincinnati area, just plain old 772-9658. Uh, we are now down to just the phones. My computer battery, unfortunately, has gone and shuffed off this mortal coil until I get a new power cord. So uh, if you have any call, any questions about asset protection, you got a couple more minutes at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 to talk to Greg Boots. Um, question for you, Greg, because your, your website says that you're like an expert in all sorts of business setup. Right. And a thing that um, sort of gets discussed in the same breath as asset protection, but but often isn't sort of directly associated with it is things like investing in IRAs and pension plans. Do do those things really fit together? They do in that if you're going to invest in, in real estate within a retirement account, whether it be a Roth or traditional or a a profit-sharing plan, we kind of look at it or we do look at it in, in the same way as an individual investing Traditionally, most retirement accounts have stocks, bonds, mutual funds, etc. If you use that retirement account to purchase uh, a piece of real estate, uh, a long-term hold, for example, and we have a tenant on that property, and that retirement account owns that property, if that tenant has a slip and fall or a mold issue or whatever the liability arises, if it's all held within that central retirement account, everything in there is at risk. And so the reason why it fits hand-in-hand hand with asset protection is we'll have a retirement account own an LLC that owns the real estate. So if, if there is a slip and fall or injury on that property, we don't put all of your other retirement assets at risk. We're containing the exposure to that investment only. Now, talk for just a second, because uh, I, I did have a, a question earlier today regarding that exact topic about whether, for instance, two different people's IRAs could both become shareholders in an LLC that end up, ended up owning a property. Is that doable? That is doable if you follow all of the requirements in, in that you, you want to make sure that if it's your retirement account or another individual's retirement account that's an investing in a business that, that you, both of you own and run as well, oh, now we have some problems. Mm-hmm. And retirement law is very complex. We can do things in qualified plans like 401ks and, and profit-sharing plans that we can't do in IRAs. The, the rules are different. And so it's one of those areas that if you're going to enter into those types of investments, especially if you're using your retirement account to invest in another business, 
you need to make sure you do your due diligence and find a group that understands the transactions. The IRS looks very hard at these transactions, especially when we're dealing with Roth IRAs, because the IRS doesn't have the ability to ever tax the profits. And so it's well worth to spend the extra money to get somebody that's very knowledgeable at, at what it is that they do, and they've been doing it a long time in regards to those types of investments. Okay, Greg, we have like one minute left in the show, and I want to now address the thing that um, uh, a lot of people have been sold on, a lot of people have heard of, a lot of people believe in, and that is the idea of creating your entity in a state other than the one in which you live and or own property, Nevada being a good example. Sure. Um, What is your opinion on that? Well, I'm a huge advocate of Nevada. However, it's not a one-size-fits-all type deal. If we have somebody that lives in Cincinnati and they're only investing in Ohio with no plans of ever investing outside of Ohio, you know what? Set up an entity in Ohio because the benefits that Nevada offers in terms of anonymity, well, you're doing business in Ohio. You set up that Nevada corporation, you've got to file it to do business in Ohio. Once you do that, your anonymity is gone. And so all you've really done is increased your cost of business by at least $1,000 a year. And so Nevada's good in regards to more advanced planning, but if you're doing all your transactions locally, set up your businesses locally. Very good. Very much appreciate you being with us today, Greg Boots from the Kent, Washington area. My and uh, don't forget to attend the Greater Cincinnati Real Estate Investors Association meeting tomorrow night with Peter Conti. That starts at 6 o'clock for the beginners meeting, 7 o'clock for the main meeting on how to buy your first apartment or commercial property. It is open to the public. More information at 859-292-RIA or at CincinnatiRIA.com. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.